Hey, Will, like I normally do, I just want to take a moment to tell our listeners to make sure they hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, wherever you might see us. Make sure you're sending us something. Also, you can email us directly at AppalachiaMeetsWorld at gmail.com. If you get a moment, shoot us a line, give us some feedback. Yeah, and wherever you listen to the podcast, make sure you subscribe to Appalachia Meets World. It just helps our podcast, but it also helps you know when we're releasing a new episode. AI will not replace your job as a teacher, but the person who knows how to harness AI in a classroom might replace your job as a teacher. And and I think that's what's important as educators who constantly have to evolve. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachian. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR. Shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in Eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachia meets world in the hills of Appalachia where the mountains stand tall. There's a podcast adventure. Listen close. Hear the call. Will and Neil with tales to unfurl on Appalachia meets world for every boy and girl. Oh, join the journey, the laughter and the lore as Appalachia meets world lets the stories pour. With Will and Neil at the helm, guiding the way, it's a podcast delight. Come on, don't delay. Through hollers and valleys, their voices do sing. A duo so charming, like the first day of spring. From the Blue Ridge to the Smokies, they'll take you far. In the world of Appalachia, where the stories are. Oh, take a listen. Let the tales unfold. With Will and Neil, the storytellers bold. Appalachia meets world, a magical ride as they traverse the landscape side by side. With banner and banjos and twinkle in their eyes, these hosts weave narratives under the Appalachian skies. From moonshine to folklore, they've got it all in the podcasting journey where memories recall. So grab your headphones and tune in tight to Appalachia meets world in the day or the night. Will and Neil on an endless swirl of stories, laughter, and the wonders of the world. What do you Yes, think? sir. My man, Big Willie, bringing the poetic intro today to Appalachia Meets World. What up? What do you think about that intro? Man, couldn't have said it better myself. You know, I got I a twinkle it. in my eye. I, I got <laughs> charm in the twinkle. That's I right. got let me ask you this. How, how long do you think it took me to write that? Two and a half years since we've been <laughs> doing the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you, it probably would have taken me two and a half years, but it took me about 30 seconds. Literary genius. That's what he is, my friends. And when I say it took me 30 seconds, it took chat GPT about oh, 30 yeah. seconds. Yes, sir. I love it. I love it. You know I love me some chat GPT. It can be used <laughs> in all angles of life. It can. Do you use it? I have, yes, absolutely. Does it not make uh, things more efficient? 100%. If there's something that you need to get done and you're not using chat GPT at this point, it's on you. <laughs> you know, even if you just have some writer's block or you just need some ideas. It can, it, you know, it can produce, it can do so much more than that, but all I put into it, you know, they, they are hiring people these days for prompters for 
AI for chat GPT, if you can talk to it in a specific way, if you can give it prompts in a specific way, the more specific you are, the better the outcome. But literally all I asked it to do, I asked it to write an intro for Appalachian Meets World in the rhyming pattern of Dr. Seuss. Unbelievable. Yeah, it spit it out in about five seconds. So it took me 25 seconds to type that in. <laughs> it took ChatGPT chat GPT, five seconds to spit it out. It serves as a great, uh, what we used to call back in the day, uh, brainstorm. Uh, I remember when we had to take circles and write uh, words and lines and sentences that we might use in our story. ChatGPT just does it for you. It gives you a breakdown of the places you want to go before you actually get there. So I love it. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about using it to call my offense next year. <laughs> <laughs> Give me one question to ask G- chat GP or, or prompt for chat GPT. And I'll see, I'll see what it spits out. Give me five great hobbies for my three-year-old. <laughs> Number one, arts and crafts, anything from finger painting to collage to Play-Doh activities. Number two, <laughs> Outdoor play, simple gardening, or basic sports activities. Number three, story time and imagination. Reading age appropriate picture books, play, and building simple stories with building blocks. Number four, music and movement. Introducing them to simple music instruments, dancing to music, singing nursery rhymes. And number five, puzzle and games. So there's your five, Neil. It's unbelievable, Will. I mean, I don't even have an excuse to be a bad parent anymore. <laughs> Chat GPT would just do the parenting for you. You know, everyone kind of knows about Chat GPT now, but it's really just scratches the surface of the whole artificial intelligence or AI universe. Yeah, for sure. I've been amazed with it. I just wanted to mention Chat GPT, bring it up in the intro because of the guests we're having on tonight. You know, there's all this controversy, I guess you could call right. it. But especially when you're talking about entering into the classroom or in education, leads us into the guest that we're having on tonight, experienced educator. And we'll get into that when we actually get there. But I wanted to first congratulate you, Neil, on going five and one last week on the Kentucky State Final Picks. Yeah, I promise I didn't use chat GPT for that. It's just pure <laughs> knowledge, Will, pure knowledge. Maybe I could get a job with ChatGPT on some of these sports picks. So I went five and one, as you know. The only one I missed was the 6A game in the state of Kentucky. And I used my heart instead of my head in that one. I wonder, could I go back in time and use ChatGPT? How would it do? So we'll use that for the college football playoffs and see what happens. Oh, that's a good idea. You know, I'm a novice when it comes to ChatGPT, to be honest. I have used it, but I am looking forward to our conversation. Before we get into expert ChatGPT, I wanted to ask you, do you have any app news for us? Yeah, I just have a couple items. I wanted to mention a thing that we talked about last year. It actually already happened. Unfortunately, we didn't mention it last week, but CSX does this thing every year in Kingsport, Tennessee. Um, the Santa train brings out thousands of people. Santa drives along rail in rural Appalachia, uh, handing out gifts. So I just want to mention that because they did it for their 81st year in a row this year. The Santa Train by CSX. It's a really cool event. It's a special tradition that 
gives back to the communities there in that part of Appalachia. Uh, a lot of people turn out for it, giving gifts directly from Santa who rides on that train down that path. We'll put some more information on the web. They got a Facebook page. We'll post it in the show notes. The other one item I wanted to mention, the recent, actually, 23rd Annual Appalachian Collegiate Research Institute that took place this past weekend in Washington, D.C. on December 1st and 2nd, where 130 students, we've mentioned this a number of times on the show. We mentioned it when, it, when, when the applications were due. We've talked about it before. But it's 130 students from 13 colleges and universities throughout the Appalachian region. They took on projects from host sites across the region. A lot of it was in regards to economic development opportunities. There's a list of those. We'll post it in the show notes, but they presented their findings for all 13 of these projects. A lot of cool stuff going on. A lot of actually expertise and knowledge being passed through that program. So it's these college students, not only working on something in class, but working for a host site and actually giving them valuable information, not only helps the host sites going forward, but also helps the students and and get some hands-on experience in regards to economic development for their communities and for their region. So it's a really cool thing, uh, actually sponsored by the ARC. It is, again, the Appalachian Collegiate Research Institute. I wanted to mention that. It happens every year. They work on it for a semester and they present it in December. They just presented this past weekend. That's all I had for App News, Neil, but I wanted to say, do you want to just get into the show today? I'm pretty excited about our guest to talk about AI. I feel like it's a world that not a lot of people really know a whole lot about. We hear about it all the time, but specifically what we wanted to talk about today was AI in the classroom. Absolutely. Let's get into it, Will. All right, let's go. Today we have a special guest, a special Appalachian educator, Principal Rachel Rankin is currently a junior high and high school principal at Newtown Falls Exempted Village School District in Trumbull County, Ohio. She has a passion for innovation and education, and she has almost two decades of professional experience in education with 14 years of classroom teaching experience. So Principal Rankin, we want to thank you very much for taking the time and being on the show today. Thank you for having me. I'm very, very excited to be here. I know I introduced you as Principal Rankin. Do you mind if we call you Rachel? Please call me Rachel. <laughs> Rachel, as most Appalachians are big on history, big on tradition. Neil and I, our family's big on tradition as well. One of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays, like this gigantic spread, bigger than the meal of, of appetizers. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish? Uh, my favorite holiday appetizer would be my husband's grandma's deviled eggs. It is not It is not a holiday unless grandma is bringing the deviled eggs. <laughs> I love these deviled eggs. Yes. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah that, that would be my favorite. Neil has about 12 or 14 before the meal. 
it just gets you started. I mean, I could eat deviled eggs all day long. I eat them before the meal, during the meal, after the meal, the day after the meal. Doesn't matter. I love them. I make sure my sister brings extra every holiday. Same. I do the same thing. I, I make her bring me at least a dozen of my own. And then, you know, <laughs> anything else for the party. <laughs> I can't call a principal by her first name, Will. So, Miss Rankin, you tell our listeners a little bit about your journey in in education, kind of where you came from and, and what got you to where you are today. Sure. Uh, well, I was born and raised um, in a real kind of small rural town uh, called Southington, Ohio, which is maybe 10 minutes from where I'm at now. So I was kind of born and raised a country girl and I thought I was going to be um, actually, a, my, my dream was to be like a Rolling Stone writer, um, you know, so I wanted to go to the big city and be a, a journalist. And um, I had gotten involved um, just kind of working through college as a paralegal. And I decided I really, really wanted to go that route. So I was, I was kind of slated for law school, had just graduated college and um a gentleman at my former high school called and said, hey, I heard you got an English degree. Have you ever thought about teaching? And I was like, no. And he's like, well, you know, maybe you should, you know, think about it. We we have an opening for an English teacher. So I thought, okay, maybe I'll just do like law school at night and, and you know, be an English teacher during the day. So I started, um, I was baptized by fire. I had no idea what I was doing, but I mean, it took like a month and then I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm supposed to do. So I withdrew my application for law school, started on a master's degree in teaching, um, and that kind of just laid the foundation. So then I taught for about three years, then came to Newton Falls, which is another kind of small rural town. I was an English teacher here for 14 years, and then about five years ago, our assistant principal was leaving, and he came to me and said, hey, I really think you should be a principal, and I said, you know, I'd, I'd rather not, uh, and it, it took some coaxing, because I loved being in the classroom, I really did. He took, you know, he kind of convinced me, and I thought about it, and I went back and forth, and then I made the decision to jump into administration, so that was five years ago. I haven't looked back. I served two years as an assistant principal, and then I was promoted to head principal. So this is my third year as head principal. And really my primary focus, other than like the safety of all of the students, is curriculum and instruction, helping coach my teachers to be the best they can possibly be so we can increase student achievement. So I deal a lot with educational technology, you know, advancements in curriculum, new things kind of on the horizon that teachers can use to apply in their classrooms. So that's kind of, you know, my experience. That's part of the reason why we wanted to have you on the show today of what we want to talk about. But I mentioned in the intro, you have a passion for innovation in education. You know, that that term innovation gets thrown out there a lot. I heard I, I read a quote about it the other day or a definition that someone gave. It, innovation is creatively using available resources to enhance human needs and resources. How, how would you define innovation or, or what it means to be innovative? Uh, in terms of being an educator, uh, innovate, an innovative educator is somebody who thinks outside of the box in a creative way and can present things um, to students that get them excited and passionate and, you know, um, amped up to learn and engaged to learn. 
Uh, and when you bring those kind of experiences into a classroom, you have 100% buy-in from those kids. All those kids are on task. All those kids are actively engaged in the lesson and learning. So innovation, you know, educationally to me is the creative person who's thinking outside of the box. Really, this episode is on artificial intelligence and AI in the classroom. You know, AI has been around. It's been around for a while. Um, I think I I read, you know, even dating back to 1997 when Deep Blue uh, played chess or was the first like computer to beat someone Mm -hmm. in and a chess master in chess. I don't think that the term AI was really known, well known then, but now we have this generative AI where you can input information. And, and really a year ago was when chat GPT came out. And I think mm-hmm. that's when everybody started to discover AI in the classroom. When you're talking about innovation in the classroom, more specifically AI, you know, it's on the cusp of reshaping a lot of things, but very specifically education. How have you seen the integration of AI in your classrooms or with your teachers or have you? So AI started to kind of rear its head back, I would say around like April and May of last school year, um, where, you know, you were hearing way more about ChatGPT. It was now kind of accessible. And there was this panic. You had teachers panicked that this was kind of going to be the end of education uh, and it was going to be used for kids to cheat. And, you know, we need to figure something out. This is kind of an urgent, dire situation impacting education. And that kind of was the thought process, I would say, for the majority of teachers, um, you know, just kind of this panic, right? And, you know, when I'm doing professional development and, and teaching teachers and administrators how to harness AI, I explained to them, it, it kind of reminds me when the internet became accessible, you know, in all homes, there was like this panic, right? And you actually have, um, you can look, there were teachers that picketed against access to the internet, you know, and were panicked, right? Because it was going to ruin education and, and, you know, what is the internet going to do? And really, to me, the AI panic is the same thing. Uh, and it's because people don't really understand it and they don't understand how it works. They don't understand how to kind of implement it in a way ethically, you know, and responsibly and how to teach that to kids. And so there's this general misunderstanding like there was back in the Internet. And I think once we can kind of overcome that, educate ourselves, train ourselves, then you could see that there are literally endless possibilities to the educational benefits of AI in a classroom. So that has kind of been a discussion point with my staff. I have very much encourage my teachers to utilize it, uh, to become familiar with it, to see how it can help them in their processes day to day. So we are kind of now to the point where they're pretty comfortable with AI, and now they are ready to kind of start utilizing it with the students and, and seeing, you know, which ways they can go. They're They're starting to dip their toes in the water as far as student access you know, uh, but there was a curveball, a learning curve until they could understand how to use it, um, which I think is good. They've got to understand how to drive the vehicle first, right, before they get behind the steering wheel. Right. And I've I've seen some people say, you know, AI is to English what calculators were to math when calculators first came out. You know, you thought everyone was going to cheat, but really it, it, it helped with efficiency, it yeah. helped the students. But, you you know, you mentioned the ethical 
implications and there there are there are a lot of ethical education not to mention like the ai literacy like you mentioned teaching your teachers but also the bias that was it's within ai but you know currently it seems like ai is like the wild wild west there's it's so fast paced it's changing so much there's so many add-ons that you can have have you developed any policies within oh, your yeah. school in regards to ai so we had to, um, just for you know, purposes of ethical use, plagiarism, over-reliance on sources that haven't been cited. So we made sure that our board policy already kind of encompassed that, you know, so that if we had a student that was using AI um, unethically, we could still apply our plagiarism policy to that. So I had to kind of revise that board policy a little bit. And then I also had to add it into like our, our student handbook. But what we did was on kind of our opening days this school year, um, I put together kind of um, basically like a guidebook, a handbook for students. It was like six pages. And it kind of just went over, you know, ethical use of AI, ways to use it um, to help support learning, not replace learning. So I went over that in detail with the kids. But then I also had a letter that I drafted kind of like a template that all of the English teachers went over with their students, pushed out to all of the kids and parents to just kind of make it clear that when, if and when we do harness this technology in the classrooms, these are the expectations of how it's going to be used. The, these are the expectations or what, what is going to happen when it's misused. So we kind of start out the school year like that, setting that solid foundation. And, and we've had a lot of success, I think, with it thus far with students using it ethically and responsibly. Did you yep. use chat GPT to draft that letter? Yes, I did. <laughs> did you? I use chat GPT or AI daily. Um, and, awesome. and what I emphasize to, to, to other administrators and to my own teachers, it's a work smarter, not harder tool. Why wouldn't you use something? Mm -hmm. You know, um, we're spread so thin as educators, so thin. And and so why wouldn't I want to harness this kind of technology to help me be more efficient? It doesn't replace me. It doesn't replace a teacher, but it does help do way more than I than I could in any any given day without it. I love how you touched on like the learning, the learning piece. You, you know, I think there's a difference between learning and performance. I think. AI can definitely help with performance, help with the efficiency, but do you think it 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 dampers the critical thinking skills of students as as some would suggest? You know, I really don't think so. It is in what you make it, right? AI is what you make of it. So if you use it to replace your critical thinking, then yeah, it's going to do that. If you use it as a cheating tool, it's going to do that. So it, it isn't what you make it. It can also, like I said, be a resource to deepen learning, to differentiate learning. You know, and the same thing goes for, you know, people that say, you know, if they can replace teachers. AI can replace teachers if you allow it, right? If you don't allow that and, and, and you don't even set up a, a foundation where that's part of the option, then that never happens, right? You use it as a tool. You know, I, I kind of talk to, to my teachers, like it's a teaching assistant. It's literally like an on-demand teaching assistant for you um, to be able to kind of, you know, make things more efficient and, and quicker and, and whatnot. But if you allow it to replace what you do, it can. I heard a quote, can't remember who it was from, but I think it's super important 
AI will not replace your job as a teacher, but the person who knows how to harness AI in a classroom might replace your job as a teacher. And, and I think that's what's important. As educators, we constantly have to evolve. We have to teach ourselves new skills. We have to learn new technologies. And AI is no different. And I think those that are reluctant to utilize and implement AI in kind of meaningful ways in the classroom will be passed by, by those that can and do. Well said. I, I just wanted to say that uh, AI is great if, if used in the right way, like you've sure. repeated over and over. And I hope your teachers understand that me, as someone who had lots of education, spent lots of time in the classroom, the one thing you can't replace is relationship. And AI sure. is not going to be able to do that. So, 100%. Uh, and that's uh, why I think it, AI allows, like, it takes quite a bit off your plate so that mm -hmm. you can dedicate more time to those relationships. Yeah, absolutely. It allows uh, you to really kind of prioritize your time better because you have this, you know, kind of technology that's helping you take care of all of the stuff that can be cumbersome and take away from those relationships. In the early 2000s, I would have said that social media would never gain traction. But uh, now I guess it would be like me saying chat GPT will never be utilized by students. It's either get on board or yeah. get out of the way. It, essentially, that's what that's kind of what it comes down to. Even if as a school district, because we've had some school districts that are around me that are just kind of staunch against AI and incorporating it at all, right? So they're just kind of acting like it doesn't exist and moving forward. And like what they're doing is creating a huge disadvantage to their students because you've got other school districts that are harnessing that technology, teaching those kids how to use that technology. So in terms of, you know, just kind of like real life skills when they leave here and graduate, you're going to have a huge discrepancy among kids that, that have mastered this technology, this, you know, new technology, and those that don't, and it's going to create a gap. And I think that will, will have an impact in, in, you know, the workforce someday and, and career forces someday, all of it. You know, I, I can't emphasize enough how important it is that we teach our teachers and our students how to harness this technology. There, there's so many tools out there just to name a few that, that I've, I've come across, photo math, where you can put a picture of a math problem and, and, and it'll spit it out. The answer. Oh, that's my math teacher's uh, worst nightmare. Uh, nightmare. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a, a tome where it'll turn notes into narrative, which I think is pretty cool. Readwise, mm -hmm. where they highlight key parts of a PDF. Ghostwrite, where you could help you with emails. But specific to education and educators, there's Diffit. There's Magic School, EduAid, Class yeah. Companion. These all help to make, I guess, teachers more efficient. They will help you create classroom materials, study guide. I have even seen where they can create IEPs and file 504 plans. Which, Those are not know, very good, though. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask. I've never obviously yeah. used it. But well, it'll take uh, away out some of the grunt work, you know, in, in that process. It does. Um, I would say I would say the IEP writing is probably in the 504 plan is probably thus far kind of the weakest AI kind of, you know, it, it's there, but it's not very good what it generates. And it's certainly not IDEA compliant. So it's like a great starting point, but like it's by no means like at the click of a button done. 
you know. Yeah, well, that's so. that's good to know because both of my kids have been on IEPs two or two out of the three are, are we've spoke about it on the show, but are dyslexic. Um, okay. And so they have IEPs for that. But do you think uh, AI can serve a purpose in regards to blended learning or kind of, you know, you can teach at different levels with a AI in the classroom? Do you think that's a possibility for AI? So I actually think that's one of the key functions of HR, of AI is differentiation. So let's say I've got a class of 10th grade students and I want to present an article that is at the 10th grade level that I want them to read. But I've got probably six other kids in that class that while they're 10th graders, you know, they might have disabilities that significantly lower their reading level. So let's say, you know, while I have 75% of my class who can read at the 10th grade level, I've got about 25% that can't. Like that diffit that you mentioned, I can copy and paste the link of the article that I want my kids to read into that diffit. And with the click of a button, I can tell it what grade level to drop that article down to, and it'll change the Lexile level. So it'll change the reading level of that document for those five or six kiddos that I have in my classroom that really struggle with reading grade level material. And so for me to sit down and actually change the Lexile level, I mean, that would take hours to, to translate an article to do that myself. But with the click of a button and it's done, so already I'm able to meet the needs of my diverse learners in my classroom so much better than, than without it, you know, endless resources to differentiate instruction that way, where, you know, it can make it more accessible for the kids. That's probably one of its key functions, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm, I'm loving this conversation. Like I, I'm learning so much uh, about the classroom and how AI can be. But, you know, there, there are districts out there that completely ban it, like yes. don't want anything to do with it. Maybe because, like you said, they just don't know enough. Uh, what, what do you say to those classrooms or those districts that are just completely banning AI? Uh, do you understand that? their reasoning or is it something that they, you know, maybe should think about in regards to embracing because the kids are going to use it regardless, whether sure. it's in the classroom or outside. I understand their reasoning uh, because people fear what they don't know and, and, and that they're unfamiliar with. I get that. Um, but I don't agree with it because like I said, what it's going to do is create a disadvantage of your students who do know how to, to utilize that technology and then you're going to have kids emerging into the workforce or going to college or entering careers and they have no clue how to use this technology and it's not going away it's only going to you know continue to develop and and kind of immerse itself in all of our daily lives even more and more just like the internet did you know it, the internet didn't go away even though people tried to ignore that it was there it got more developed and look where we are now you know, with the internet, it, it's the same way. You know, you and Neil spoke about this human interaction. Do you think it will change the way we teach in classrooms, bring more into the classroom and less, I guess, less purpose on homework outside of class, just so that teachers will know that what they are doing in class is, is not AI generated or, or things like that, or because there's so much more around this human interaction and how important it is. So I think, um, you know, and I even had this discussion with my own teachers, you know, maybe writing a paper isn't always the best way to demonstrate knowledge, right? Or mastery. 
So we kind of had a discussion about maybe, you know, instead of the five paragraph essay, because while kids do need to understand how to write a five paragraph essay, do they need to do that every four or five weeks when they finish a novel? Maybe we need to kind of look at more performance based ways of, you know, evaluating their learning where, you know, and so we've kind of changed basically kind of, I think, the way that we're approaching how to evaluate standards mastery. I, I think that'll be a continued discussion because, I mean, that's, that's a, especially for English teachers, a hard practice to get out of, right? Kids need to be, kids need to be reading and writing and, and, you know, writing papers. But I also think just like anything else, like AI can be used to help support writing. You know, let's say you're writing a persuasive speech about a topic, you know, you can ask AI to give it the, you know, counter arguments. So when you're writing your speech, you're thinking about those AI provided counter arguments and already addressing them in your speech. So again, using it as a tool to help support that learning, not replace that learning. I will say, you know, I, so there's not one gold standard of how to detect AI. There's a couple different kind of tips and tricks, but there's not just like a plagiarism detector for this. So I give my teachers kind of a couple different, there are free AI detection tools where you can kind of copy and paste the student work and it'll give you a percentage of the likelihood that it has been plagiarized by AI or written by AI. They're not foolproof, unfortunately. So I kind of just encourage my teachers to try and emulate. So if they suspect, just kind of like when you're trying to verify, you know, if a source is credible and you triangulate your resources, you know, I have them kind of run it through all of the kind of three or four plagiarism detectors that I've encouraged. Then there's some Google add-ons. So you kind of become a little bit of a detective to try and, and ensure the credibility, you know, that again, we explain to kids how we how we utilize, you know, the AI detectors and they understand it's the same thing as plagiarizing anything else um, and what the consequences are going to be. And so that's kind of the way that we try to protect our acad academic integrity a little bit. Would you say that today's AI technology is comparable to dial-up internet when we were kids? And where will it be five years from now? Man, I don't know if it's dial-up. I mean, it's, I'd say back in like May, it was dial-up. It literally, so I'll give you an example. So Magic School AI is one of my favorite AI tools that I encourage my teachers to use. I encourage other administrators to use. So I did um, a professional training a few weeks ago where it was AI, it was an AI for admin, um, just kind of how you as a school principal or superintendent can make your life easier using AI. In like a three week period of me developing this presentation, probably 15 more apps within magicschool.ai had appeared. So like literally in three weeks, they had added 15 additional modules of different things you could do within it. Um, so, I mean, it's insane. It's insane. And it's constantly daily updating and evolving and developing. So, I mean, there are a lot, a lot of things now you can do with AI. Back in May, it was very kind of, you know, just, couple different things and it's really blown up. Um, it's really blown up over the summer and, and into the fall. So I think, you know, I think we're at broadband right now. Honestly. Okay. I'll take that. 
Well, Miss Rankin, my mind thinks like an entrepreneur and uh, my advice to you would be to copyright those board policies that you wrote <laughs> earlier this year and get ready to sell them across Appalachia. So okay. if you need some help with that, just reach out to, to me or Will and, and uh, we might be able to help you. So, All right. <laughs> Yeah, I think that that actually is a really good point. I think a lot of schools right now are looking for searching for these policies. But you also, you, you know, you mentioned the literacy, like like we've had digital literacy for a long time in schools. I think now this AI literacy is going to become even more important. 100 percent. Could not agree with you more. We ask everybody the, these questions. So where is is home for you? What 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 do you call home? And uh, what does that mean to you as an Appalachian? Home to me is Northeast Ohio. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people complain about Ohio and especially kind of our area. Um, but it is always, I always love coming home. When, you know, when we travel out of town and we go, we go to West Virginia quite a bit and um, go on ATV trips, my husband and I, and, you know, just different things. Uh, and I'm always like, when we get back into Ohio, I'm just like, oh, welcome home, you know, but Northeast Ohio is what I call home. Um, it's filled with people who watch out for one another, who take care of one another, um, especially even in the community of Newton Falls, because um, I live here and I'm the principal here. That that to me is is home, uh, where you can have a community of people that watch out for you, watch out for your kids. It, it takes a village sometimes, and uh, I'm proud to belong to a town, you know, that that embraces that that concept. Yeah, that's a great perspective. As our listeners know, I also live in Northeast Ohio. I, I know that a lot of Northeast Ohioers, I guess that's a word, Ohioers. Um, <laughs> don't think Maybe. of themselves, especially in the in the Appalachian part of Ohio. Don't think of themselves necessarily as Appalachian. Uh, may not connect with that word, sure. uh, but they are. You know, this region Absolutely. is in Appalachia. So I wanted to ask you, what's the first thing you think about when you hear the word Appalachia? Honestly, Appalachia, and I think of the mountains. Um, automatically, I just kind of think of like the mountain towns and and kind of, you know, uh, along the, the Appalachian Mountains is really what I think about um, first. But then, you know, there's so much more to it than just that, obviously. I think the second word that comes to mind uh, would be grit. I think that Appalachia and this area and the people are are full of grit. Right. Um, and just, you know, kind of hardworking people. And um, I, I would think that's probably the second second thing that comes to mind would be grit. I, I love those perspectives to both of those answers. That's something that we ask everyone. And, we you know, we always get different answers, but it, there's no right or wrong. But it's always good to hear those different perspectives. We want to thank you so much again, uh, Principal Rankin or Rachel, for being <laughs> on the show, uh, sharing your expertise, your knowledge. And just thank you for everything that you do for your school system for the region, uh, definitely for thinking outside of the box and be, being very innovative in education. Well, thank you guys for having me. You know, this has been a, a pleasure. It's 
on my bucket list to be interviewed for a podcast. So I'm pretty excited. So <laughs> thanks for making us sound good. So uh, <laughs> look at that, Neil. We've made another dream come true. That's yeah. right. Exactly. Yeah, you guys are Appalachian dream makers over there. <laughs> <laughs> Neil, what, what an episode with Principal Rankin, we'll call her Rachel, just a good guest to have on with all that expertise in the classroom, but also seeing as being a principal firsthand through her teachers, trying to implement some policies or implement AI opportunities in the classroom. Yeah, I've never really thought about it from that angle, Will, and uh, what an interesting guest to have on. Uh, as the world changes, education changes, all kinds of changes being made, and you got to be out in front of it. And uh, I really think Rachel is uh, ahead of her time. Yeah, definitely. You know, you got to have those policies in place. Like we mentioned in the episode, AI is really the wild, wild west right now. So those policies help out, especially when it comes to education, educating young people. You know, like we mentioned in the episode, chat GPT, AI is kind of to English what calculators were to math. When calculators first came out, people thought it was just a way for students to cheat. But really, look how it has uh, expanded and grown and made learning math more efficient and effective across the board. Incredible. Let me know. I got a ways to go myself in learning uh, all the do's and don'ts, but uh, I can't wait to, to use it again on, on my future projects. Yeah, definitely. We'll, we'll try to uh, maybe on, in a future episode, dive a little bit deeper into AI, just specifically what it is and what tools are out there. I know we mentioned some in the episode, but, uh, you know, like we said, there's a whole world out there that uh, a lot of a lot of people don't understand. Thanks to Rachel for coming on again. I really appreciate her time. That will. I mean, you have any any highlights in the app business trail for us, my man? You know, we po- we talked about last week, the 25 days of the Appalachian Small Business Christmas. We mentioned yep. seven last week. Going to mention seven yep. this this episode for this following week. I've been looking forward to this. Uh, check out our IG, our Instagram account. We've posted one every day, the countdown to Christmas for the 25 days of Christmas. But the seven that we're going to mention on this episode, we'll talk we'll talk about them quickly here, but we'll have some more a lot more detailed information on IG. So number one on the list is Sherris Winery in Cumberland, Maryland. They make wine as well as various spirits, quality, company, Appalachian made, Appalachian produced. So check them out. Hill and Holler. It's a cool gift t-shirt printing shop in Cumberland, Kentucky. Has some really unique gifts and items that you could get for people over Christmas. So check them out. Blinko Glass Company out of Milton, West Virginia. Been around for a long time. Has some really cool items. Hall's Chocolatier or Hall's Swiss Chocolate in Baena, West Virginia. Really, if you're looking uh, to give that special sweet gift to somebody, definitely check them out. It's Swiss made chocolates, which you can't find a lot of places handmade there in Appalachia, in the heart of West Virginia. The next is Thomas Spake Studio out of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Some cool artwork coming out of that studio. It's been around for a little bit. Boomstown and Company, Johnson City, Tennessee. They're really a printing shop 
have t-shirts, have a lot of unique designs, but they have some cool stuff. It's really locally made with a global appeal. Boomstown and Company, they focus a lot on the Johnson City area, but you can also find the Appalachian region at large. Base Camp Printing Company, two sisters started this company. It's a really cool company. They can print pretty much anything on paper that you want or need, but also they have a lot of unique designs themselves. You can get prints from there. Really cool. Check them out. We'll put like, like again, we'll put them in the show notes. And that was the number seven on our list. So those are the seven app businesses for this week. And we'll post one a day in the IG. We just posted over the last seven days for the advent season leading up to the Christmas holidays. So there you go, Neil. Will and Neil trying to drive business in Appalachia. There's 14 great options for Christmas presents. So hopefully some of you listeners out there will tap into tap into some of these businesses we're mentioning. But thanks, Will, for laying that out for us and for your literary, almost literary genius at the beginning of tonight's episode. Yeah, that would have been impressive if it came straight from me, right? Yeah, for sure. Our listeners out there don't know what it is. Hopefully you learned something tonight. Hopefully you'll look it up because it will change your life. We want to thank Principal Rankin again for her time on this episode for her experience and her expertise in the education field all that she does there in newtown falls schools all that she does for the region all right will all right i guess we can end it like we usually do till next time peace i'm up in the mountains again i'm getting lighter the air's getting now I'm facing down with a grin I've been in the city too long Sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs Now I'm back up where I belong I'm in the mountains